Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be covering a lot of ground this week in verse 16. Everyone found their place. Ephesians chapter 3. Before we get started, I, uh, more of this will come in a little bit later, but just the season of life that God has for me right now. I was starting to prepare on Monday, uh, and so... One of the things I did later on the day was start reading through uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon on this verse. And as I sat there, uh, thought God was certainly preaching to me on Monday morning from Dr. Lloyd-Jones. And I thought, man, I wish I could just read his sermon for us this morning. Um, and maybe there's a place for that, but... Not at this point I felt was the best. And, uh, but nevertheless, um, I'm going to use kind of his flow of thought and as he works through this verse. I um, just want to make sure I give appropriate credit to, to Dr. Lloyd-Jones, who was, who was my preacher on Monday morning. So, Last week, we started talking about prayer. Talked about how maybe how many of us have never been taught to pray. You know, in our house gathering, we reflected on this question and how many of us have been taught to pray, or how were you taught to pray? And and my suspect or my uh, um, thoughts uh, were just simply proven to be true as we. As we thought about that and thought about, we were either taught, not taught how to pray, or we were taught, many of us taught poorly how to pray. You know, the idea of, well, just talk to God like He is your friend. Okay, I mean, that's true, we are a friend of God, but there's so much more to it than that. He's more than just our friend. He's also our Redeemer, our Justifier. He's the creator. He's our king. And so in our modern day, when we think about he's our friend, well, he's more than just our friend. I pray that he's more than just your friend. If he's not more than your friend, then you have no assurance of heaven. Or maybe we pray, because if we don't pray, then we think stuff won't happen. Things that we think should happen. And so we know, because we're good Christians, that we should pray. And we can make things happen. That God answers prayers. And He certainly does. So then as we kind of thought through some of this, we started thinking through last week, well, what, what can we think, what can we learn from this text, from Paul's prayer, who's, who's clearly praying underneath the inspiration of God and His Holy Spirit. And He is, he is guiding 
Paul's lips here. And so this is certainly a prayer that we can look at and go, what are some principles that we can learn and apply? What are what's some observations we can make about Paul's praying? And some of those that we came away with last week was that praying is clearly just as important as instruction. That praying has a weightiness uh, like instruction. As Paul is instructing us here, and he stops to pray. And what's he pray about? He's praying about that they would get the instruction. That God would take the instruction and, and just sink it deep inside of their hearts. That they would know the length and height and breadth of what he is talking about. As we talked about last week, I think we all tend to lean one way or the other. We tend to either lean heavily on instruction and we neglect prayer, or we, tend, we lean heavily on prayer and neglect instruction. And we talked about how the posture of your heart matters. That it should be one of humility and one of reverence. That's where I think the idea of just teaching someone how to pray by saying, just talk to God like He's your friend, is probably not helpful because many of us probably do not talk to our friends uh, in a way that's honoring, that's appropriate even. But the posture of our heart matters. When we uh, approach God, He's not a genie in the bottle. He's not some, some you know, request just to throw it in there and, you know, and, and He's going to give it to me. He's, he is our Creator, who, our King, our Redeemer, who is worthy of our reverence and humility. We also talked about the idea of not waiting to pray until it's all you've got. That our lifestyle should be that of praying. Now this week, what I want to do is I want just to continue instructing us on how to pray. I want us to continue looking at Paul's prayer here to see what God divinely inspired him to pray for the Ephesians in the midst of this incredible letter of instruction to the church in Ephesus. So to do that, I want to ask this question first. What is he not praying for? What is he not praying for? You know, as we go to the scriptures, it's oftentimes the what's left out that's, that's really important as well. What is he not doing? It's sometimes just as important as what he is doing. Whether that's Jesus or, or, or many of the texts in the scriptures. So I want you to think about this. If you were to catalog your praying for the past couple months... What would be the common thread in your prayers? Let me ask it another way. What would be the common themes that you see in your praying? What are the things that continue to come up? Okay, I want you to kind of just log that, maybe write that down on your paper. Just keep that in the back of your mind at the very least. My guess is this. Just a guess. If it's not true of you, praise God. That the most common theme in many of our praying is probably circumstances and the altering of such circumstances. Let me give you an example. Someone is sick and you pray for them. So, circumstances, someone is sick, you pray for them. Or, another example, someone has a need 
and you pray that God would supply that need. Now I know right now, I mean, your heart, there's a tension going on, okay? I'm just going to let that tension sit there for a few moments. I'm not going to address the tension like I kind of just did, right? I want you to remember Paul's context here. What's, where's Paul at right now? Sitting in his cushy house, watching TV, thinking, I should write them a letter. He's in jail. There's persecution going on. Life-threatening persecution taking place. And Paul does not pray for a change in circumstances, either for himself or those in Ephesus. He doesn't pray for it. In the midst of physical persecution, he's in jail, and he doesn't pray for those circumstances to change. Matter of fact, if you look just at verse 13, just a couple before this, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. What is he talking about? I'm suffering this physical persecution, but what's he concerned about there? Don't lose heart. So you know, here's the deal, here's, when you're studying the scriptures, when you're, when you're reading anything, context is key. And what you see here is on the mind of Paul is his persecution. Two verses earlier. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering, just for your glory, which is your glory. So in Paul's mind is his current circumstances, physical circumstances, and he chooses not to pray for those to change. That's amazing. So he does not pray for a change in circumstances, either for himself or for them. What he also does not pray is he does not pray some sort of general blanket prayer. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. He does not simply ask God to bless them and take care of them. That would be an example of a very general prayer. He also does another example of a general prayer and thinking about what is he not doing here. He does not just thank God for food and let it nourish our bodies. Another example of a, just a very general prayer. Our prayers look like this often, right? Well, God, please just be with us today. Just, just be with us today. Please be with me today. It's very general. Paul's prayers are not at this, at this point. So then we ask the opposite question. What does Paul pray for? So here Paul, on bended knee, right, which is a position of worship and of a heart humbled, he prays these words, verse 16. It says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Let me read that again. So on bended knee, He comes and He says, I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power, through His Spirit, in your inner being. That's really important, guys. It's really important that we make good observations about Paul's prayer at this point. And here's my main thought for us today. Prayer should always be centered around the heart. It should always be, as I actually titled my sermon, I don't know why I didn't make my sermon title the main thesis for today, but 
We should always pray to the heart. Pray to the heart. What I don't mean is that you're having a conversation like you're praying to the heart versus praying to the Father. What I'm saying is that your prayers are aimed at issues of the heart. Prayer should always concern itself. Here you go. Prayer should always concern itself primarily with the inner man, with the inner being. Another way of saying that, our heart, our prayers should always concern themselves primarily with the heart, the mind, the will, the, 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 the seat of our personhood. Notice in there I said primarily. Do you want to know how to pray? Pray to the matters of the heart. Now don't pray only about the heart. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But pray primarily about the inner being, the inner man. Be concerned with the inner man more than the outer circumstances. So here's kind of my first point for today. Is that your prayers should be primarily spiritual. Your prayers should be primarily spiritual. Not exclusively spiritual. Primarily spiritual. I get it. Don't, I don't want to caveat myself a ton here. But I get everything is ultimately spiritual in the sense that it's all God's. Okay? I got that. When I hear I'm disting- distinguishing between that which is spiritual and really that which is circumstantial, that which is material, that which will not uh, live for eternity, like our bodies. It'll be made new. Something will change. So yes, yes, we still need to be concerned about the physical. God is and so should we. So I'm not saying that. But we should be most concerned with the spiritual. Even think about Jesus, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we know that at this point in Jesus' ministry, that He's teaching the people that God's kingdom is not of this world. It's something different. We know, and we need to realize, that we need to be most concerned with the spiritual I think we tend, this is just a hypothesis, but I think we tend to be most concerned with the physical because usually on a day-to-day basis, we can muster some level of control over the physical. But when it comes to the inner man, at least I know for me, that that's where I begin to realize that I really don't have the kind of control that I like to have. But you see what Paul is most concerned with in this prayer It isn't their circumstances. It isn't their jobs. It isn't their food. It isn't their happiness. It isn't their friends. It isn't their homes. It isn't their government. It isn't people walking around killing mass amounts of them. And it isn't people invading their homes to kill them because they're Christians. He is most concerned with the condition of their hearts. How should I pray? Pray to the heart. 
should be spiritual. We should be thinking about the inner man. I think the second thing that we learn is that our prayers should be specific. Our prayers should be specific. Again, I'm not going to spend my whole time caveating. Certainly, I'm sure there is times when a general blanket prayer is certainly okay. But just, just follow with me. Like what Jones, Dr. Jones says, says, he says, We betray much of the truth concerning ourselves in our prayers and in our praying. You see, we spend so much time in generalities when we pray, and even when we think in general. Like, for example, our prayers. Oh, oh God, please help me today. Please help me to love you. Again, not that there's never a place for that. But if that's the only place in which, that's the only level at which our prayers reside, what is that saying about the level at which we think about life in general? Paul's prayers. Here's Paul's prayers. Oh God, my heart desires to worship the approval of my boss. Please lead my heart to repentance and supreme love for you in place of this love I have that is ruling my heart for my boss and his approval. You see what I'm getting at here? Guys, your general prayers most likely simply reflect the lack of care that you are giving to the tuning of your heart to sing God's praises. Let me, let me say it another way. If you can't pray specifically, then you're probably not caring for your heart deeply. So what happens is we betray ourselves when we pray. This the truth of the situation, the depth of the situation is still at a loss. If you read prayers in people's lives, like the prayer that I read earlier, like not one for one, but most common, here's what I found. Those who are deeply thinking about the things of God and the things of life, tend to have prayers. You guys have heard these before. You hear prayers where you're like, wow. Like even that prayer that I read for us earlier today, like that's a prayer that I, like, I don't know if you heard me, but like, I'm like choking up in the middle of that prayer because I'm just going, wow, like wow. Those prayers that lead people to the throne of grace where you just walk away going, wow, there's something different about where we just went. We didn't stay in this room. We went to another place for just a few moments. But our prayers tend to be very general. And, and, I, th- and I think in many cases that that's because we're not typically thinking as deeply about the things that we ought to be thinking deeply about. Why, right? Why? 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 Because we're busy doing other things. We're busy doing other things that we deem more important. Whether that's working or instruction. <laughs> I mean, it depends on where it is, where, who it is, what, where your life is at with that. 
I think Dr. Jones says this as well. He says, there is no better indicator of someone's spiritual health than one's prayers. Now, when I read that, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I'm like, he just like really stepped on my toes. And that hurts, but it, like, it feels good in a weird way. Because, yes, I know I need that. Why can Paul single out specific matters? Why can he pierce right to the situation? Because he's been thinking deeply about these things all along. And he knows the situation intimately through prayer and through the Scriptures. I, I get it, like... We might have people, I can think of an example, someone in a foreign mission field that, that, you know, they're like in a situation, you don't know the details of it, right? You don't know exactly what they're struggling with this day. And certainly there's room for us to pray more generally. But even then I can challenge you to get to know the situation and pray as specifically as God has provided for you to pray. Just a quick reminder here, Christianity, if, if you all don't know this, is very concerned about truth, precision, and accuracy, okay? These three things are God. If, you, if you're not convinced of that, just go read Leviticus, okay? Precision, accuracy, truth, like God's concerned about these things. Or just be reminded that He will take care of all of our needs. So don't be anxious. So we should be these kind of people in general, people that are concerned about truth and specifics. Now listen, here's the deal. I'm not saying, this, this thought occurred to me as I was kind of semi-preaching this sermon to someone else. Actually, we were walking down the halls of Southern Seminary as I was uh, enlightening some, the Robbie and Rusty and Sarah as we were walking down this past couple weeks. Here's what I don't mean. Like, you know, you know how it is, right? You, you're, you just did a house gathering. You just shared all your prayer requests. And, and then you're like concerned about like, oh, so what was a person's name? And what was their prayer request and all that? I'm talking about something even more than that. Yes, it's good to know people's names and to, to know the ailment and, or whatever we're praying for. But I'm talking about like having specificity to what you're praying for in their life. And of course, I'm going to say, I think we should drive to matters of the heart. So our prayers should be specific. Enough on that one. The third one is this. Your prayers should reflect the gravity of the situation. Alright, so again, Paul just says in 13, don't lose heart over my suffering. For 16... That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened. That according to, it's going to take His riches of His glory, and I want you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Like, well, this is that kind of prayer. Wow. I mean, I think Paul understands the gravity of the situation. But we tend to make light of things when we say, oh, you know, everything will be okay. Like, do we, do we understand when we pray, do we, do, we, do we understand the gravity of that which we're praying for or about? We are people that just, we just typically don't like to face hardships or 
oftentimes we don't even like to deal with them in a biblical manner. We should understand the gravity. Let me read to you John chapter 16, verse 33. He says this, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, two things from this. Look what Jesus does. Look what He doesn't say. He doesn't say, I've taken away all the tribulation from your life. What's He say? He says the same thing that Paul says. I've said these things that you may have peace and that you would take heart. He's saying the same, Paul's saying the same thing. Jesus, no, I didn't take the circumstances away from you. Jesus, at this point, isn't concerned with removing or changing the circumstances here. Now, he does allude to, I have overcome the circumstances. They will change. Because I've overcome the world. But he's concerned with their hearts. But he also shows us the gravity of the situation. That there will be trials. That there will be tribulations. You know, when we think about this, there's the whole persecution side of stuff, but then there's also like the health and the, just the, imp, the impact of sin on our lives. I don't think we sometimes realize the depth of the impact of sin. Like what is broken around us and what's broken because of sin and Jesus overcoming this. So we don't understand the gravity of our sin. I think if we understood better the, the depth of sin in our own hearts or the depth of sin and as it has broken our world, these would begin to help us think about the gravity of such situations that we pray about. You know, Christianity never promises that the problem or the difficulty or whatever it is will be removed anytime soon. There is the, pro- there is the promise that it will be removed eventually. When he returns, but not the promise that it will be removed anytime soon. Let's go back to Acts 14, or not back to, but Acts 14, verse 22. It talks about strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Again, encouraging them to what? Continue in the faith. And that these tribulations are inevitable. You know, a thought I want to encourage you with is that we should not be surprised at sin and its consequences. And we should understand the gravity of those. I mean, I think we look at the world and all the terrible stuff going around the world and we're like still astonished. Why? Probably because we haven't read our Old Testament well enough. Or you hear people say, well, we just need to get back to the good old days. Right, you've heard me say this before. After the fall, it's been a succession of very, very bad days. There are no good old days unless you're talking about Genesis 1 and 2. And yes, I want to get back to those two. Well, even better, right? We're going to get to something even better than Genesis 1 or 2. When we pray, we should pray with that kind of gravity, understanding what's at stake. So not only should our prayers be specific, spiritual and understanding the gravity of the situation. 
but they should be primarily concerned with the heart. All right, now here, here we go again, right? All this talk about heart stuff. We're always talking about the heart. Now I know most of us, many of us growing up in church, didn't talk about the heart much. I don't know why. Well, the one thing I do know is that it's hard, and it's convicting, and it's tough. Like, just how do we navigate through matters of the heart? This is where at least I am reminded of the lack of control that I have. You know, the Pharisees didn't like talking about the heart much. We need to be concerned with talking about this. Your prayers must be primarily concerned with the hearts. I think it's something that we learn here, and I think that's something that's overall scripturally supported. I'm not going to give us a biblical theology of praying to the heart, but nevertheless, I think our prayers should primarily be concerned with the heart. Christianity is never concerned primarily with the destruction of our enemies or the solving of our difficulties and problems. I know. With that said, though, here's the deal. We need to understand that James 4, you can go read James 4 later, helps us balance this. Because in James we talk about praying for healing and praying for circumstances to change. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying, though, that the Scriptures are not primarily concerned with those. Those are secondary. They are, the Scriptures are concerned with those, but it's not the primary concern. Jesus does the same thing, right, when He comes. Uh, just getting into a little bit of a biblical theology. Of it here. Jesus, when He comes, and the Sermon on the Mount, what's He doing? He's saying, you've been concerned with the physical things. They matter. But what matters more is what's in here and what's happening inside of here. That's why he says, you've hated your brother. You've basically committed murder. He's saying because this in here matters. So I think when it comes to praying, we can functionally live like the Pharisees, where we're just concerned about the external and not about the internal. Do our prayers reflect that concern? So in the midst of the trials and difficulties, God is concerned about this. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, what? In your inner being. The Christian's first responsibility is not to fix the problems, but to deal with your own spiritual state. You hear me? Our first responsibility is not to fix the problems out there. It's to deal with what's going on inside. Here, you leave your workplace and you're angry. Don't just go get another boss. Deal with what's going on inside of here first. It might be that you need to get a new boss. But deal with this first. You see, we all just want to do, do, do. We want the healing. We want the job. We want to feel joy. We want our kids to be successful. And then we neglect the spiritual state of all those involved, including ourselves. Here's, here's a thought. I think the problem is, is the reason why we struggle with do-do-doing versus praying and thinking about and, and, and communing with God over the things of the heart is because we ultimately don't think that this is doing. If these are moving, then I'm doing 
But if this is moving in here, we just tend to not classify that as doing. You see, our kingdoms are upside down. I mean, Jesus is saying the same thing. Our kingdoms are upside down. Man's kingdom is this. The physical comes first, and if I get time to it, I'll get around to the spiritual side of me. God's kingdom's the opposite. The stuff that's of eternal value is what comes first. That's God's kingdom. So then, how is it we tend to the heart in prayer for the life that God has called us to? Right? That's the question. How do we then, how do we tend to the heart? Care for the heart in prayer for the life that God has called us to. We already talked about the gravity of the kingdom we are called to. That there will be trials and struggles. That the road will be hard and will wear on you. So how do we do it? And this is particularly where Lloyd-Jones is very helpful to me in thinking through this passage. And it's this. Our task or method is to build up resistance in the inner man by the Spirit. This is what we're going to tease out the rest of the time here. It's to build up a resistance, right? So, I know we only have one doctor in our midst, and she just got a bath this morning. Uh, but the doctor here, the medical doctor, goes on this, he goes on this long, and I'm not going to go through all this, but he goes through this long thinking through this, the idea of the immune system and building up a resistance. And the goal here, what Paul's goal, what he's praying for those in Ephesus, is that they would build up a resistance. That they would build up a spiritual immune system, if you will. That they would be strengthened in the inner being. Paul's method is that of building up the resistance of the Ephesian Christians, the Christians in Ephesus. Paul prays that God would strengthen their inner being. That whatever the attack may be, hear me with this, whatever the attack may be, the resistance can be so strengthened that they will be made more than conquerors. That's what Paul's praying for. Not that the circumstances would change, but but they would be built up so strong by the power of the Spirit inside of them that they could resist until their Savior returns. Jude 17 through 21 says this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about changing the circumstances. If anything, they're saying the circumstances are out of your control. Pray. Pray that God would strengthen your most holy faith. 
This is the only way to say what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the physical versus the spiritual. For the things that we are seeing are transient, but the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. Can you see, right, how we get so caught up in the physical? We're so caught up in the circumstances. We're so caught up in what's not going the way we want it to go that we so easily neglect that which is most important. And that is how is my heart worshiping its king in this moment? I never forget, this isn't in my notes, but I, uh, dealing, we're dealing with a kind of a tough church situation about this time two years ago. It's tough. It's hard. And I remember calling my buddy John Pope and they say, man, I just don't know what to do. Right? The circumstances are tough. Here's what's... And this was his question to me. He goes, how is God still worthy of worship right now? And I just thought, I'm not even thinking about that, right? But this is important, what I'm thinking about. It's very valuable, and it needs to be thought about. But he just took my heart and said, what's most important right now? Is that you are supremely loving and worshiping God. That's what's most important right now. And if that's at the center, then you will be able to deal with the circumstances rightly. But if the circumstances are at your center then it disorients everything. I, I'll never forget that. I'm standing on my patio by my grills, if you know what I'm talking about. Grills, not girls. Grills. And, and he says, and I'm like, I just, like, I just walk over and sit down. I'm like, wow, this conversation's not going the way I wanted it to go. <laughs> I usually don't with John. Paul's talking about this building up the inner man, strengthening the resistance. Another way of putting this is you've got to put the center right, and the rest will look after itself. The trouble is generally in the source. We put the heart right, and everything else will look after itself. It comes after that. You know, when we start thinking about our lives, and we talk a lot about, about this a lot in DNA and so on and so forth, but, like, we got to be careful that we don't just look at our lives and just try to go after this little piece here and this little piece over here and this little piece over here when all along the, the, the issue is much deeper. We go after the heart. Proverbs 4.23, you're all familiar with this verse. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The springs of life don't flow from your circumstances. It flows from your heart. Heart is not merely the seat of the emotion, right? But the center of our personhood. Some of you saw I posted this on the city this week. 
at least the first part of this quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, It is not the temptations that meet us on the streets that determine our conduct. It is the heart of the man who faces them. Two men may face the same conditions. One falls and the other stands. The difference is not in the temptation, but in the heart of the man. We must pay attention to the heart. Let me tell you a story. Many of you know this already from house gathering, but this week has been challenging for me. It's been challenging for my family. I want you to follow my train of thought here. On Monday, I was diagnosed with a cancer called melanoma. It's a skin cancer. Now, it's a cancer that, if gone untreated, will take my life. They say like one to five years, something like that, depending on how aggressive So think about this with me. Right now, this very second, I have an organism in my body that is seeking and on the track to take my life. Right now. I live with that, right? And now, having it once... So from what I've read and the doctors, that having it again is, is a chance. Like, with the susceptibility and so on and so forth. Like, i got to go in for yearly exams to make sure it's not come back and so on and so forth. I mean, think about this. Every, like, and, and, I, and I pray, I, more on this in a second, I, I pray to God that this stays this way the rest of my life. Where every time I look in the mirror, I'll be reminded of this. Every time I look at a mole, right? I have lots of moles all over my body. And they're going to go through and check each one of those. So hopefully not with a biopsy, hopefully just by visual. Uh, so I don't have to get any more of those needle sticks, you know? Because those hurt more than them scraping the thing off. Sorry, I didn't mean to gross anybody out, but... You know, as Monday progressed, and then into Tuesday, I found myself searching for hope. Has anyone with any kind of rightful mind would do, they would search for hope. Uh, you know, thinking I have work to do, I've got kingdom to build, I have family to take care of, i got to get my mind wrapped around this, right? I need to care for my heart. <clears throat> Here's where my flesh wanted to run to, for hope. Two of them, two examples. There's nothing you can do about it, so just chill. Relax. That's one place my heart wanted to run. You're not in control. God's sovereign. So here's the, so the thought there is hope in the fact that I can't do anything. But is that really hope? The fact that I can't do anything? Does that inspire joy in my Creator? And is it even true? Can I really do nothing? That's first place. Second place is this. At this point, so it's, it's just, at this point, it's stage one. So it's the very, very beginning. Like, well, it's been there for a few months, but very beginning. I won't go into the details of how they know that, but uh, 
Bobby was kind to talk through the pathology report with me in much more detail than my, than my doctors were willing to do. But here's the deal, 95% of people, it's scraped off, cut out, you know, all that gross stuff, and they're fine, and they live forever, no problems, right? Like 95 plus percent, they just surgically remove it, thank God for His grace of doing that, and then they're fine. But again, let's ask the questions, what am I hoping in? The odds? Can I have peace and rest? Because the odds are forever in my favor, right? We know how that goes, if you've seen those movies and read those books. I got hope in the odds. What do you tell someone who's been diagnosed with cancer and they've got six months to live? And their odds are zero. What if someone comes and says, I have a 70% chance of living? The odds are in your favor. What is that? So I'm even thinking, right? So, yes, the odds are in my favor. But is that really hope? Does that say, have joy in my Creator because the odds are in my favor? Is that what Paul is saying? Well, the odds are in my favor. I should have hope. Or is he saying, hey, those of you in Ephesus, the odds are in your favor. Have hope. He says, basically he's implying the odds are not in your favor. You need to be strengthened. But you see, that's what my flesh wanted to do. Wanted to seek refuge in these things. The reality is this. The odds of avoiding suffering and trials and tribulation are zero. The odds are not in my favor there. And they're not in your favor either. The Bible says so. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. The other reality is this, is that there is something that I can do in the midst. There is something that I can do. And it's more important than even seeking treatment. Hear me. It is more important than going to the doctor, and that is, I can attend to the matter of my heart. That's more important. I can pray. I can talk to God. It's more important. Yes, seeking medical treatment is important. Having the daggone thing cut out for $450, that's important. Like, yes, those are things important. I never forget sitting in the, and you have to meet my dermatologist, because I sit in the room and he's like, you're going to go have surgery, and he's going to save your life. That's exactly how he said it, and that's how he broke the news to me, right? And I'm sitting there going, what? What? His bedside manner is just awesome. <laughs> like, and that kind of voice, too. Like, like he's like on WWE or something. <laughs> We're just going to cut it off, and you're going to be okay. He's going to save your life. <laughs> Honest to God, right? <laughs> Guys, here's what I can do. I can ask God to tune my heart to sing His praise no matter the outcome. Right? That's what's most important. 
I can attend to the spiritual side of my being. I can be strengthened in my inner being to the point of resistance such that I can glorify God and be joy-filled through the whole thing, no matter what. Now, how's that for giving hope to someone who's just been told they have three years to live or five months to live? I mean, we're just even getting at the the tip of the iceberg for that. So you want to know how to pray? Attend to that which matters most. Your heart. Like what George Mueller said before he would go out and do anything. He says this, I must have my heart happy in God or I will be of no use to anybody. I will use them and try to get them to satisfy my cravings and my vacancies. My heart must be happy in God first. So there's things I'm thinking about before, like the kingdom to build, I have a family to take care of, I have these things, and how am I going to do that if, 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 if I can't even wrap my mind around what's going on, and so on and so forth. Like, I'm going to be worthless in doing all of those things until my heart is happy in God. You see, in prayer, by prayer and in prayer, here's what we get to do. And here's what I want to encourage your hearts with. This is where Jones really spoke to me this past week from this passage. That we get to seek refuge in the inner man. Now, what I, what I mean by that, I don't mean like the inner man is our source of joy, and so, but it's, it's the inner man that connects with God that is made alive and in relationship with its creator. Like, Jones says it this way, we need to learn how to retire into the inner man. How to retire into the inner man. You see, for many of us, that either scares us, or it doesn't mean much of anything. Here's why. Because we've not tended to that part of our lives. So it's either when we go to commune with God, there's just nothing there or not much there. Why? Because we spend most of our time ignoring it. We spend most of our time just do, 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 do. And, and we just ignore it. We don't nourish that part. How do we nourish it? Through praying and through the scriptures and the other means of grace that God's given. That's how we tend to that. Or or we're scared of it because we're afraid of what it might require of us. Did you know that when life is tough, that when things are falling apart, when things are not as they should be, right, Nehemiah? When things are not as they should be, that you can retreat to your inner man. You know, as the outward man is falling away, the inner man is being built up. So that's where we're distinguished here between like, you know, uh, Oprah Winfrey, right? And uh, just tune in to that inner side of your... That's that's furthest thing from what I'm talking about. We're talking about this inner man that is made alive in 
Christ, right? That once was dead and now alive. Guys, as sin and the world is beating down the outer man, the inner man is receiving strength from heaven and from God's glory. Think about that. As the outside is being ripped apart, as it is falling apart, as something is even seeking to devour it, the inner man will live on and is being strengthened every single day. There's so much application for that. Moms, as like the outer man, as the outer body is just being beaten down by kids and torn apart by life, like the inner man, the inner woman, is being strengthened day after day, moment by moment. Think about this, and I hope this breaks your heart. The man who is not a Christian knows nothing about this. He knows nothing about this. He is dependent only upon circumstances, and he is entirely controlled by them. He has no inner man to retreat to. He has no comfort, no consolation, so he has to fall back on what? Psychology, drugs, or various tricks that he can do to himself to pass the time. He rushes off into pleasure just to forget his troubles. He cannot face life because he lives in one dimension. And that is the physical. His inner man is dead. That's what Ephesians 2 is talking about. He's dead. But when we become Christians, what do we receive? New birth. What is that? It's the inner man. The inner man is put into us. We enter into a new realm. And that realm is not temporal, physical, or vanishing. Like what Jones says, he says, a seed of divine life is implanted in us. It grows and develops. And he goes on to say this, trials and tribulations often stimulate it to grow in a most glorious manner. Second Corinthians four sixteen says this. So, so we do not lose heart. And what's it, what comes after that? Though the outer man, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Huh. What about that? You know, the thought through this this past week and thinking about praying. Like, as I was even sitting here this morning singing, just sang in a different way. Like, there was just something different about my inner man in those moments. Just something 
different. And I think, because in a, in a new and fresh way, by God's graciousness to me, and I mean that genuinely, I have a deeper sense of the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being strengthened day by day. A new and fresh way. You know, as we think about this, I think, how is God building up our resistance? How is He building up our resistance? How is He strengthening us? That's what Paul says. He says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You know, think about different trials that I know are in our church, and physical things and circumstances. Again, we can and should pray for healing. We can pray for circumstances to change or for God to calm the tongue of that boss or for God to heal that <clears throat> arm or whatever the case is. We, and we can and we should pray for those things. Please don't hear me saying otherwise. What I'm saying is, where should we think and be concerned with First, our hearts. And are they happy in Jesus if the circumstances were to never change? And that's what Paul's saying here. I think ultimately he's saying, look, you can be more than conquerors. You can see, you can even comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. You can do that and your circumstances never change a bit. Because that's what's important. And then, and then, and then, when we've cared and we've tended to the matters of the heart, let's go ask for healing. Let's go ask for Him to take these things away. Let's go ask. Let's go ask for Him to help me with my boss. Let's go help me with, with whatever the issue is. And let's go ask. And let's ask with boldness. And then we can do as Christ did, right? Father, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but what? Yours, Father. Yours. Yours. God didn't change Jesus' circumstances. But you know what He did do? He strengthened His heart to the point of obedience all the way through the cross. And that's who we get to look to for our example. And that is the one that we are made alive in. Let me read to you this last quote from Dr. Jones. He says this, do you know that while the outward man is falling and collapsing and decomposing, the inner man is being renewed day by day and is being built up and has a vision of glory which is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. Think about that. He says, this our secret as Christians as the Apostle reminds us, is that we have an inner man. And when that inner man has been strengthened by the Holy Spirit, what happens round and about us and even to the outward man himself is comparatively unimportant. May God, listen to these, may God give us the assurance of the possession of the inner man. 
the spiritual man, the new man in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have made a way to make alive the inner man. That this part of mine and part of our existence can be made alive in such a way that it would commune with you, God. That it would talk with you. That it would live eternally with you and in your presence. One that is not impacted negatively by circumstances, at least in the long run. But instead, circumstances are used to bring about joy unending in the inner man. Father, thank you that when life is tough, we can retreat, we can retire, we can take refuge in that part of our existence which will know no end and knows nothing, or will know eventually nothing but the joy found in its creator. I thank you for the inner man. I pray, how, how do we pray? How do we pray? Let's take care of the inner man in prayer. Let's go there first. Father, give us, give us what we need, the grace, the teaching, instruction, the, the time, the fortitude, the priorities to take care of the inner man. That we would have hearts that beat and long for you. Hearts that don't worship the change of circumstances, but worship the God who has ordained those circumstances. And then, let us ask for favorable circumstances. And Father, also let us not be so quick to want to change that which is physical. Let us be slow, even, so that we might take advantage of the life-changing situations that you place us in. But let us be quick to tune our hearts to sing your praise, Father. Let us be quick to do that. Now let's pray to matters of the heart. Father, it's in your Son's most precious name. Lord, may you be glorified in this. It's in his name we pray. Amen.